What up, world? It's your boy, the Puerto Rican powerhouse of Mike for Hire, the podcast version himself, and it's the podcast version show. I'm Christian Joe Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today we're going to review the Marvel MCU film Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now, this film is the official last film in the, I guess, the phase for the current uh, Marvel universe. And it's a it hits home because um, it's... It's a love letter to Chadwick Boseman, the late great actor that sadly passed away uh, last year from uh, stomach cancer. And um, he was only 44, I believe, and now he's, he would have been 45 if he's still being around. And uh, actually, was it last year or was it 2020? You know what? With everything going on, time just, what is time, right? It's like things just happen so quickly. And they never got a proper goodbye for the character. Um, Chadwick didn't tell Marvel he had issues till. Last, but he kept it, you know, under the wraps because he wanted to just be treated like normal. Um, listen, this movie has layers. Ryan Coogler wrote the story. Uh, Kevin Feige produced it with Nate Moore. Uh, it stars Letitia Wright as the lead character, as the soon-to-be new Black Panther in the movie. Uh, which everyone guessed from the start from the comic books, because that happens in the comic books too, as well. That the uh, Shuri character does become a Black Panther at one point. Um, this film has uh, Lupita Nyong'o return, Danai Gurira, uh, Winston Duke, of course, uh, Florence Kazumba, uh, Dominique Thorne, Michael Cole, Tenoch Huerta Mejia, who's playing Namor in the film, uh, Martin Freeman's back, uh, Julie, Julia Louise Dreyfus is back as her character from the, I mean, she's kind of intertwined as all these in the MCU now, little by little, just pieced in, uh, and Angela Bassett, of course, as, uh. Queen Namora, uh, Ramora, it's not Namora, the Namora is Namor's wife, uh, Queen Ramon, Ramonda, there we go, uh, so as we watch the film, let me just get the little epilogue, um, the child of the king of Wakanda is dying from an illness, with the sister Shuri believes can be cured with the heart-shaped herb, Shuri attempts to synthetically recreate the herb after it was destroyed by Killmonger, Eric Killmonger, obviously he burned the whole entire, uh, garden of the herbs, so they have no herbs left, so just as she's finishing, pretty much 3D printing this thing, uh, T'Challa sadly passes away. A year later, Wakanda's under pressure from other nations to share the vibranium. So it's a lot of political talk in this movie of you know Wakanda now being part of the rest of the world. They're no longer um, self-exiling. They're trying to coexist with other nations and work. And Queen Ramonda implores Shuri to continue her research on the heart-shaped herb and uh, hoping to create a new Black Panther because the nation does not feel the same about one. So they're going through, again, a lot of internal struggle, uh, political struggle. The whole movie is just political intrigue. Um, Queen Ramonda, she makes a huge statement against the first, quote-unquote, first world nations about the resources. Like, they're afraid that the rest of the world would misuse vibranium for war and for power, you know, pretty much taking over the world. Like, they can't trust anyone but themselves because they've had this vibranium ore material for centuries and never thought about world domination if this was in the hands of the u.s france and other first world nations they would use it as a way to leverage for, for fighting off other nations and stuff kind of like who has the most nukes this is like who has the most vibranium would be the next best thing if anything better because vibranium is such a strange ore it's only found in one region of the world specifically in wakanda now, the whole movie doesn't stay with that. Uh, we find out later on as the rest of the world's trying to get access through mining and other means to find uh, more vibranium, they actually do find a deposit in the middle of the ocean. 
So when the meteor hit and struck the, the African continent and landed in Wakanda, it wasn't the only one. So there were other places where this metal vibranium has, in its raw state, landed, but it has been underwater the whole time. So the whole film, they're trying to pretty much excavate deep ocean, way below sea level. And that's where the Talukanan people are fighting against the what would have been Atlantean, but they changed it to Talokan to be more of a, um, I believe, Mayan uh, merfolk. Let's call them mer people because that's what they are. They are mutated, changed, whatever you want to call it, into this type of uh, aquatic humanoid. They're still human, right? But they're blue when they are out of the ocean because they breathe water versus unlike us where we breathe air. So whatever mutation they went through, which they show and throughout the whole being in the film, I mean, there's a huge sequence with the military, uh, like Black Ops, trying to get on this big uh, rig out in the middle of the ocean, like a, one of those oil rigs, trying to excavate the stuff. And then they, they, they like sirens, like they sing a tune or hum or whatever you want to call it. And, and it lures all the soldiers to like so commit suicide off the, off the edge of the ship. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And some of the secret agents are there and try to escape by helicopter, but they're taken down by a figure that we obviously know later on is Namor because he has winged defeat. He has the ability to fly where all the other Talukan people are just, um, I, I, you know, they're, they can walk and they can swim, but he's the one that's like mutated, mutated, or he's to the point where he has, he can be in the skies, he can be on land, he can be under the water, like he can do it all because Namor is that dude, like he is him. <laughs> so the whole film is a struggle of the Talokan people and Namor trying to keep all governments away from uh, Talokan because their whole nation, even though it's on the water, it's built on the vibranium. So they've used a lot of the vibranium to create their kingdom that they've been pushed away. Like they used to be in Mexico and Again, something happened where they they drank something and changed them and could had to convert to being aquatic beings. And they were seen as demonic creatures by the very religious Christian people at that time, uh, as uh, the people that were um, settlers and colonizers and all that that came to this world versus the native Mayan people. They fit in. They, they didn't cause any trouble. They're like... They knew what these Talokan people specifically are, but that they were able to coexist in peace. But it was definitely the outsiders that came in, the modern day Mexicans who are the land, the land dwelling ones who are dealing with these under aquatic uh, mutated, mutated people that are very strong as well because they live in such deep oceans. Their body is so dense that they can pretty much, like nat by natural uh, adaption, uh, have super strength. So why does this matter to the, uh, Wakanda? Easy, because vibranium is the main cause of it all, right? So that's all that everyone's looking for. It's like finding that gold. So the whole film is a plot. Is just Shuri and Okoye they learn that the CIA agent Everett K. Ross, that the scientist in question is an MIT student named Riri Williams. Ironheart, that's right, from the recent comic books. And they arrive at MIT in Cambridge, confront her, and she's like hustling assi homework assignments for grades or people. Like she, they pay her money, she does her homework for them. So the group are there uh, pursued by the feds, and then they try to go to a, a secret garage where he has like a lab there, and they pretty much are surrounded and have to escape. Riri has like a Gen 1 Iron Man suit that she created herself 
very much a student of Tony Stark's and all that stuff. And like, okay, this is pretty awesome. Then you get to the actual bridge over there by freaking, uh, by Cambridge going to Brighton, I think it is. I don't know. It's like, it's crazy. Like you see killer whales, humpback whales, and these Talakon soldiers just hop off them and get on the bridge and start fighting. And listen, the, uh, man, this fight is crazy because the Dormelage is usually very much uh, formidable. Like, they fight off everybody. And back when they were in this UN meeting beginning of the film, the Dormelage found these people who were, who were uh, I guess you could say black ops or whatever, of a certain government. I'm assuming it was the U.S. government who were trying to go into their labs and try to take vibranium. And then they were confronted as the Dor Dormelage brought all their soldiers in. So if they were able to take down special forces, but these new mutated people, are nowhere near the same level as, as bending off them. So they get their asses handed, and they're like, what the hell are these people? They can't get hurt that easily. Of course not. If you're literally living in pressurized water underground, I'm talking about below the Mariana Trench and all that stuff, you're going to be way more harder to take a beating with. So it's like living in space. You're just living in a vacuum, right? So it's just your body's going to be more stronger to the defenses and stuff so with that being said the whole film is essentially namor trying to get a hold of queen ramonda and to join forces to fight the uh land land dwellers because they're by vibranium they can trust the wakandans because they weren't ever sharing with them but these blue skin people water breathing superhumans led by namor are a threat to everyone even wakanda because they were able to infiltrate Wakanda, Namor, like nothing, where their defenses are so high. They haven't been found for centuries, but Namor was able to get there with ease. So CIA thinks these attacks were the Wakandans because of the outburst when Ramona says she doesn't want to work with anybody anymore. She's just pretty much sealing off again after all the pain of losing her son and her husband and losing a lot for the sake of helping the people above ground it's crazy so namor confronting ramanda shuri in their own land because shuri and ramanda they go to like pretty much talk about um breathing and all that stuff in a fire in a fire in a campfire and then he comes out of the water like easily bypassing all of their security like nothing and blaming wakanda for the vibranium <laughs> race that the world's like an arms race and he gives an ultimatum, either deliver him, the scientist, Riri Williams, responsible for sharing and finding the vibranium detecting machine, because her machine, she, as a, guess you could, college homework project, uh, she makes a freaking machine where she can sense the vibranium, because vibranium is a type of ore that it, not regular metal detectors cannot pick it up. So she created something they could, and which really threatens their livelihoods as underwater in Talakan, literally their city, their huge nation is all, yes, it's below water, but it's all vibranium buildings down there and they, they don't want their society interrupted by the land lovers who are trying to use it for weapons they're literally using vibranium specifically for building materials and just everyday stuff funny thing is though that Mamor and a few other Talakwan soldiers all had also uh vibranium weapons and shields and i guess you can say armor but they haven't all this time tried to overthrow anybody. They're not the bad guys. They're the, the antagonists of the movie, for sure. There's misunderstanding amongst the movie. And that's the whole setting of the film. It's just they're trying to coexist, but then they feel like they have their backs against the wall. And then everyone feels like they're in the right. And essentially another uh, villain, quote-unquote villain, that we could 
relate to because they're not villains. They're just trying to survive and, and they're, they don't want to be bothered. They don't want to be found. They've been gone for so long and they want to stay that way. And, and now that they're discovered, they're like, well, you know what? It's our, it's our turn to take uh, turn the tables on the United Nations and the world above. And this movie was just so intense. This movie was very much had limited humor. Mind you, this whole film was just a giant homage to uh, Chadwick's uh, portrayal of the Black Panther, how much he's missed throughout this film and needed. We felt the grief as a viewer. And again, you're watching the movie sombering from the beginning to end. Like, I was afraid I was going to cry. And I did it throughout the whole film till the end. It teared up a little bit when they introduced T'Challa Jr., who is the son of uh, Lupita Nyong'o's character, Nakia, and T'Challa. So she was gone for five years because she was raising his son in Haiti, away from all of the world that she knows of, uh, of Wakanda and stuff. So listen, this movie was full of energy, full of love, full of grief uh, everyone's trying to exist i mean before we get to that part that was the biggest twist right there in the end that was a post-credit scene but uh before that happens i mean you you lose people as well because queen, queen Armanda dies trying to save riri who almost gets drowned in her kingdom um, and shuri creates this herb and finally gets it to work a uh, synthetic herb and she's able to see the world of the ancestors but she meets up with killmonger which is a different twist instead of meeting up with her mother or chadwick up there in in, in the plane of of the ancestors and she is almost run by revenge but the film she's trying to essentially the whole film change her mindset from being all right i'm doing this out of revenge and hate and just doing it for um again trying to defend my people for the right reasons so this counterattack by Talukanans ended up with the death of her mother, and it's we see Riri in the Iron Heart suit as she makes a better suit in Wakanda, and they're preparing for battle. And Ayo, assuming position of general of the Dormilaje, Shuri bestows Midnight Angel armor to Okoye, which is in the comic books, and who turns recruits Dormilaje member Aneka to join her. So they both wear these awesome armors. Uh, will, so they create this Iron, uh, Rear Williams creates Iron Man S exoskeleton to aid in combat. Of course, of course, it's going to change. I feel like it felt kind of rushed to see how it looked like. It didn't look polished per se, but it looked it looked better than her original suit that was kind of just kind of just her wearing an exoskeleton. This one looks more like the Iron Man uh, facade, the, the you know hot rod red color, but it, not exactly. It's our own take on it. So they go to a, a sea vehicle that with all of the Wakandans to fight on the Talakon people. So the Wakandans lure Namor and his warriors to the surface, a battle ensues, and a lot happens where they're all trying to, like, one-up each other. We're nearly... Uh, people die, of course. It is a battle. But in the end, Namor was ended up uh, stranded in land, nowhere near water, as Shuri took him in a ship where she dehydrated him, and they fight off. And I thought he, she he really killed off the Namor. I'm like, he just got introduced. Now, his wife, Namora, is over there with the other um, Salakam people, and Umbaku brought his people. They're getting, mind you, his, his, uh, his folks, dude, they got the asses handed. Yo, let me tell you something. The Jabari people usually are like the the brutes of Wakanda, but they are getting their asses handed by the Talukanan people. Of course, again, you can't do humans against mutants and expect <laughs> exact same lopsided results. So there's a lot going on with fighting. The whole movie is like action-packed towards the climax. And in the end, it just goes back to somber again. But then you have a sense of like relief where the grief is like, 
Shuri finally lets it go and um, she grieves finally for her brother instead of just not thinking about it. And that's where she meets her nephew. And the movie ends in a high note, but it, gosh, this was one of the more like somber MCU movies. I could say, yeah, it's up there where like Endgame or even Infinity War, it definitely has a different tone. I mean, again, there is levity, but not much of it at all. It mostly comes from Riri making one-liners. Outside of that, everyone's like just trying to process grief. And of course, I recently, again, lost my mom over, gosh, it's been almost two years. It's crazy to say that it's been two years. Um, no, it's only been in one year. She would have turned 69 last year and turned 70 this year as her birthday just passed. So it's been a full year and a half of grief, I guess. And it's like, it's wild to me how time flies and you know, they say it heals all wounds, but some, some you remember the good memories and try not to dwell on the past and things. But this movie definitely hit home for me because of so many parallels. And Shuri's, uh, I'm glad I didn't go into darkness of like what Shuri did. Like her character really was in the pits. She tried everything to save her mom and felt that weight. Like the weight shouldn't be on her shoulders. She did the best she could. And this, it's, again, it's a circumstance she can't control. Like the whole film is just very self-reflective. And I, I feel like the cast definitely was able to let out all their emotions doing this because they didn't get to partake in Chadwick Boseman's uh, real life funeral per se. So I think they did their own kind of like cast funeral with Coogler. They all went to his grave and they were able to say their piece. And that's, that was like uh, a weight. They left it off their shoulders because everyone loved Chadwick. He was just such a great dude in person. And this movie, it's hard to rate movies where this tone with such reality attached to it i have to give it a score i would probably say it's a good film a good four out of five for a film but for the weight that it carries and what it tried to achieve with all the delays of course i'm not gonna get into that uh with all the issues that occur it's it's tough to really score a movie where you know it's like a in remembrance of and it's not like the first one where it's all upbeat. This, I mean, yeah, Killmonger was obviously a villain, but and he came back. You got Mike, Michael B. Jordan coming back for the role just for the ancestral plane portion of this. But again, it's hard to process this the same, and it's it's almost like a farewell letter, like a love letter to the actor and the character in the film. So, with that being said, this movie is epically proportioned, really, really large scale, and. It's the character inclusion of Namor was good things about it. the character inclusion of Namor uh, having people speaking Mayan language and people learn to speak Mayan for this film. Um, the representation of brown, the dark skinned, you know, Mexicans and in, in a huge blockbuster in the United States. It's definitely going to open the doors for hopefully um, mestizo and black uh, Hispanics in like Latin American film and, and television. Hopefully it uh, opens up their eyes to the colorism that we deal with over there in Latin America because it happens. It's obvious. I don't watch novellas for that reason. It's mostly just the white Latinos that you see on TV. You don't see anybody who's like my skin color or darker. You don't see anybody unless they're like the laborers or whatever. But as a lead role, you don't see that often very much. Um, so there's a lot of things we deal with in watching these films. Like it opens like we're Black Panther opened the doors for african and african-american and just anybody of the african disparia to be in a lead role and be the front runner for a movie blockbuster film like this was a big deal and then to have the inclusion of the 
um, pre-Hispanic Latino uh, people as well to who were again they got native actors of native ancestry to be in the film they got actors who are of that background and it's just like this is so dope this is a kind of movie that like really opens the doors because it, it's successful it definitely is it's making its money so far it's grossed 733 million almost a billion it's on its way to a billion so it's been successful and the more you see people of color on film like listen we people of color make a huge portion especially hispanics and black people make a huge portion of movie theater goers people that go to the theater so of course, you should see more of yourself in theaters. The fact that we are a big percentage of those who go to the theaters to watch films. So it's a film that's for everyone to enjoy, right? But it's just nice to see us in the front running for, pro, you know, lead protagonist, lead antagonist, lead, 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 and just see a plethora of people. Like, you know, you got all kinds of people. Now, I didn't mention uh, um, one thing mind, I should have mentioned. The characters of uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus, who were prizes her role as Valentina, what was her name? I forget. Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, and she is a big part of the. I wouldn't call her the Amanda Waller of the MCU, but pretty much that kind of character. And Martin Freeman also plays her ex-husband. Martin Freeman was in the previous Black Panther as an agent, but apparently he plays. He's in, in in the film in canon. She's now they're now ex lovers, and it's just like oh, that makes things awkward. So <laughs> it's nice to see them back in this film. And you again, you don't really get teases too much of Shield in this film yet, but you do get a tease of things to come for the MCU and a lot of uh, more questions than answers. But that's fine because they're going to continue things going forward. With the MCU, it's again successful film, not even film franchise, successful story arc here that they have with these characters and I can't wait to see what the next phase brings us but that being said movie was great and if they make a third one we'll see I mean it's a touchy subject we'll see what happens but thank y'all for tuning in this episode of the podcast mercenary show I'm signing off this one Christian Joel Ramos the Mike for Hire podcast mercenary the Puerto Rican powerhouse till next time thank y'all for tuning in once again as always take care and enjoy the films out there and let me know what else you want to see from me um my handle on Twitter for uh, questions and, and recommendations is at PCAST Merc Show. That's, again, that's PCAST M-E-R-C Show. And that's my profile for the podcast. So if you have any requests for shows and for anything else, go for it. As always, take care. Thank y'all for tuning in and, and watch your movies. Enjoy that stuff. I don't have a sign off. I just say bye. So y'all take care. Peace.